Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. Right. Good morning, everybody. So that was the, uh, the last time I guess we're going to get to see the, the Jericho video. August has been our month of Jericho. And uh, even though we haven't had a series theme, everything's been built around Jericho and our conference that we've been doing. This is uh, the eighth year of, of doing that conference. And, and honestly, I was talking to some of the leaders and just trying to figure out, are we still on track with the Lord? Are we still doing what he's, he's called us to do with this conference? And then to hear some of the testimonies about how God has been moving and what he's been doing in people's lives. It's just, uh, just confirmation that, you know, sometimes when the Lord gives you direction, you just, you just keep going. You just keep doing what he told you to do. And uh, so I thought about it with, with August. We haven't had a, a series theme like we typically do for, for the month, but it really has been built around, built around uh, Jericho. You know, the Sunday, the first Sunday of August, we started with, uh, right before Jericho was going to start, our, our service was titled, uh, The Miracle of Forgiveness. And we talked about how um, the things that we were expecting God to do during Jericho, right? Jericho Conference is about walls coming down. It's about being delivered, about being healed, about being changed and transformed. So we talked about the miracle of forgiveness and how um, we believe that Many of the things that God wants to do in our lives, it will come through forgiveness. Not only us forgiving other people, but us receiving the forgiveness of God. You know, as Christians, we believe that, that we've been forgiven, but putting that into action and living as somebody who's been forgiven oftentimes is difficult. You know, this morning, my daughter was filling up ice at the house, and, and sometimes I have a little bit of a quick trigger. And I could hear her filling up a small cup, and the, the ice machine is going and going. I'm like, Naomi, stop, stop, stop. And then ice is everywhere, and she looked at me, and she knew I was mad. She, she started crying, and, uh, and I'm like, man, this is going to make me feel bad when i got to get up there and preach. I'm being mean to my daughter today. <laughs> and, you know, so she was sad. She started crying. She went and sat down somewhere. But then at the end of worship right now, you know, everybody, all the kids are leaving, and she comes up to give me a hug, and she won't let me go, right? I'm trying to get over here to, to Mary, and, and she just won't let me go. She won't let me go. And I looked her in the eyes. I gave her a big hug, big kiss, said, I love you, baby. Go ahead and go to class. And the idea was that as my daughter, she recognized that, yes, there was something going on earlier, but she knows that I still love her, and she knows that she's forgiven, and she knows that she can actually come to me even though some of these things were happening. And I think a lot of times we don't receive the healing and the things that we desire from God is because we don't recognize him as a loving father like that. We don't come to him expecting that kind of forgiveness and restoration and healing. So we started off the, uh, the conference that way. Then we had these uh, seven different pastors preach at, at uh, Jericho. And the messages were powerful. I felt like God really spoke a lot to, to many of us. And then we ended Jericho on that Sunday with a message called the miracle of faith. And how many of the things that God wants to do, uh, it may already be declared and true in heaven, but you have to walk it out so that those things can actually be realized in your actual life, right? So God will make a promise to you, and God will say that uh, something is going to transpire, or God might say that you're healed, or God might say that you're forgiven, but if you stop there with hearing that word and you don't continue to walk, you don't continue to move forward, uh, it'll, take, um, it'll take that promise and delay it, right? Okay, I heard from God, so I'm not going to go to church, I'm not going to give, I'm not going to engage people, I'm not going to call, I'm not going to continue this process of restoration. The miracle of faithfulness and faith is that as you continue, you see the realization of these things that God has spoken into our lives. So then last week, um, we had a message titled, uh, Walk in the Walk and Talk in the Talk, and it was my favorite of, uh, of the month so far, and we looked at the road to Emmaus and how... 
after the Lord uh, was crucified, and there were some of the disciples, they were beginning to disperse and go to different areas. And these two men began to, to walk. It says seven miles from Jerusalem. They're on this road to Emmaus. And as they're talking about the things that had happened and they were sad, it says that the Lord came. Jesus came alongside with them and began to walk with them and talk with them. And, and the whole idea of the message last week was that it's one thing to have a Jericho and, and have these experiences and faith and forgiveness and God is moving. Uh, but again, we have to walk it out and we have to talk it out. You know, when they were walking and talking, they were talking about what they were still confused about. Man, we thought he was going to uh, deliver us. We thought he was going to be the one. And how could he have been crucified? And what are we going to do now? And we left the disciples there and, and we're going back to Emmaus, so on and so forth. And because they were not only walking, but they were talking about the things of God, of God the Lord showed up in that conversation and began to minister to them and speak with them and give them clarity. So what we talked about last week is that we need to be walking and talking about the things of God. We need to be wrestling with the things that we're unsure about. We need to be asking questions and, and getting further clarity and direction. So <clears throat> what I've been seeing uh, in this series, we haven't talked much about Jericho, we haven't talked much about Joshua, but the same principles, what you see in Jericho and Joshua is healing. And you see deliverance, you see the miraculous, you see faithfulness, you see God showing up literally and speaking face to face with Joshua. And I think that that's what we've been seeing in this series, that's what we've been seeing in this month, that's what we've been hearing testimonies of our, our missionaries that are going out, our people who are here. Last Sunday we heard testimonies where somebody said, I heard from God during Jericho for the first time in my life. Been in church for a long time, uh, been a Christian for a long time, but said during that week they literally heard God's voice for the first time ever speak directly to this particular woman. So seeing those things, hearing that those things are happening for me, I just hope that in the few minutes I have with you guys this morning that we close out you know, our, our August Sunday series uh, with more of the same. Amen. Hearing from God, seeing God, feeling the presence of God, and uh, that he would heal, that he would do something special in our lives this morning. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to pray. Lord, I thank you for bringing us into your house again this morning. Lord, I thank you for giving us an opportunity to encounter you, Lord, to seek you. As we lift up our voices and our hands in worship, Lord, we're reminded that as we praise you and we give everything that we have to you, Lord, that you supernaturally put joy into our lives and peace into our lives. Lord, we came into this place this morning uh, from different walks of lives, dealing with different things and experiences, Lord God. Some of us came in here uh, full, Lord God, and having all of our needs met. And some of us came into this place hurt this morning and struggling, Lord, and we barely made it here, but you have something for each and every one of us, God. We ask that you would speak to us, Lord, that you would reveal yourself further through your word this morning, Lord God. You say that it's alive and that it's powerful, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord, and that you will set us free, that you will help us, that you will encourage us, that you will redirect our very lives here in this place this morning, Lord. We ask that you would help us not to leave the same way that we came in, Lord, that not to settle for just getting here this morning, but to have, a, have an encounter with you, to hear you speak to us, to feel your touch, Lord, to feel your comfort. That's our desire here in this place, God. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, so the title of the message this morning is Culture Shift. Culture Shift. Every time the Lord comes into a person's life, there is a major culture shift that, uh, that does take place and has to take place. Every time the Lord comes into his church to provide clarity and revelation, there is a culture shift that he's expecting to continue to happen in the lives of his people. Last Sunday, we saw people give their lives to the Lord. The expectation is that there's a shift in their actual lives and in their culture over the last few days. There are people who have been in this church for a decade. There are people um, who have joined the church all along the line. But when the Lord comes and he speaks to his people, it's not just so he can give a word. He expects that shift to continue to happen. The Bible says that we are being transformed and conformed into the image of Christ. That every day we should look a little bit less like we used to and a little bit more like him. It's a shift that is ongoing, that does not cease. Any Bible story that you read, when people encounter the Lord, one thing is for sure, they are not the same after encountering him as they were before they encountered him. The blood has stopped. The eyes have been opened. The ears can now hear. And we expect, actually, uh, we know that their lives continue to change. The Lord doesn't have to keep writing the story and say, and then the next week this happened, and then the week after that, and then six months later. The actual expectation is because they met the Lord Jesus and he did something in their lives that they were never the same. There was a culture shift. 
How much of a reality is that in our lives, if we're honest this morning, that there's an expected continuation of culture shifting in our lives? Like if somebody hears or sees a post on Facebook that you got saved or you started going to church, is the expectation that there is going to be a continual shift in your life and in the way that we live? I'm convinced that the culture that we live in when it comes to spiritual things has a taming effect on us, like a sedative. When God does something in our lives and, you know, we could sit here and watch a video and say, oh, man, I remember that night or, or look at that person or look at, look at what God's doing in our kids. And there's this, this spiritual thing that God is doing. And then what happens about four or five days later, two weeks later, there's a taming effect, right? When you were going to be on fire for God and God was going to do all these things, and all of a sudden you're, you're kind of like a sedative, right? You're calming down. I think we have these encounters with God and these revelations from the Lord. And then almost immediately, our culture begins to remind us that there's an acceptable limit for the expression of these things that God is doing in our lives and do not exceed that, right? God's moving and you're feeling his presence or maybe you want to be in his word or you're listening to testimonies and you're thinking to yourself, man, I want to, be, I want to go next year. Where's somebody going? Where's the next opportunity? How can I be involved? And then as time goes on, it's like the culture tells you, no, you know what? Calm it down a little bit. <laughs> There's an acceptable amount of joy or experience or expression of the things that God is doing in your life and do not exceed it. The rest of the world does not want to hear what you're excited about. I began to think about this in my personal life as uh, Mary's been gone for the last couple of weeks. And I realized that I was able to do a lot of things when she wasn't here. And I'm not talking about like I was free, I could like go out or something like that. I'm talking about, you know, every day when I get home from work, I start pretty early. I usually take like a little mid, uh, late afternoon, early evening nap. You know, I got to get me 30, 45 minutes and then I wake up and I'm ready to, to do what I got to do with the kids. I got no naps in the last two weeks and I survived. You know, there's been this long list of honey-do things that I need to get done at the house that have been, you know, the list is growing because I'm not checking anything off the box for a long time. She's been gone, man. I went crazy. I did all kinds of stuff at the house, got accomplished. She came home, and she was tired. It's like 11 o'clock at night. I said, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. <laughs> the kids, they were in bed on time. They were actually fed, and it wasn't Taco Bell burritos every night. Like, they got real food. <laughs> So I looked at, at her being gone and all the things that were able to get um, accomplished, and I thought to myself, now that she's back, I can actually feel the fight within me saying, let's just go back to how it was, right? Like, now that you're home, I'm going to get a nap. I'm not going to have to cook. You'll take care of the kids all the time and make sure that they have everything that they need. I don't even have to ask about it or, or see if you need any help. See, that's that taming or that sedative saying, look, what you've experienced, which should continue to go forward, no, the, the world or the culture is telling you, just go back to how it was. But why? I really feel God saying, no, there needs to be a culture shift in your family. It's not going to be exactly how it was when she was gone, right, because she's back, but it definitely shouldn't be like it was before she left. There should be a, sh a shift within the culture of the Jarrett family. I think spiritually the same thing happens to a lot of us. The world says, hey, calm down. Conference is over. <laughs> Jericho is it's gone. That was August. We're going to move into September. Calm down. Or you have this experience where you're worshiping God and you're feeling the presence and you're praying over kids and then the world tells you, hey, calm down. It's not Sunday anymore. It's Monday. Go back to work. Live your normal life. And then you can go get that again next weekend. I don't think that that's what God really desires for us. There's no, there's no mission trip coming up. You know, Sarah's going to get back. Mary and them are back. Me and Carmelo will go into Nigeria and come back. And who knows when we're going to have another trip. So don't, don't get excited about the world <laughs> and the needs of the world. Calm yourself down. See, I don't believe that we were created to live on the mountaintop with God. But we were definitely not supposed to forget those mountaintop experiences so quickly. When you read through the scriptures, Moses would go up to the mountaintop, he'd hear from God, his face would shine, and then God didn't say, stay up here and bring everybody up here. No, he said, now go back down there, but live differently, right? 
Joshua sees Jesus right before they're going to take Jericho. And, and Jesus doesn't say, hey, this is a mountaintop experience. I'm going to walk with you hand in hand forever now, Joshua. No, he says, just live differently now that we've had this encounter. The Bible is full of these culture shifts that are supposed to take place. It's about... Instead of the world putting you into a smaller box and telling you to calm it down, it's about the box literally getting bigger. It's about instead of going back to your old routines, God saying, change your routines. Yes. Things have to be a little bit different now. Yes. Be a little bit less, less predictable in how you live. How many of us have, as Christians, if we're honest, the non-Christians that we know would say that we're very, very predictable? This is what they can expect from you. This is what your life looks like. This is what it means that you go to church. Just, just very, very predictable. When it should be this ongoing shift of culture that's like, man, their lives are, are different. So what I want to do today, I want to share, I want to pick up from where we left off with the road to Emmaus and just share the rest of this uh, particular story and the rest of this chapter. So it's Luke chapter 24, verse 30 is the end of the story where, where Jesus comes to the, the road to Emmaus with these two men. It says in verse 30, It came to pass, as Jesus sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and he's appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road, and how he, uh, how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. And now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened, and supposed that they had seen a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do, you doubt, or why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he had said, these, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. And he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all these things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany. He lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. It's a great story. Somebody say amen. amen. It's a true story, right? <laughs> amen. So I'm going to give you three things that I think can help you complete the culture shift. I started by saying that I believe that we need a culture shift within our individual relationships, within our families, within our communities, within our churches, that God desires for us to have a culture shift. Right? Not just moments of encounter that go back to same old, same old business as usual, but this shift. So if you think that God might be speaking to you and saying, don't let this just be another year of Jericho and then you got to wait till next year for that to continue to go forward. Don't let this just be an encounter that you've been having spiritually with God, maybe in a particular service or in your particular time of study or a trip maybe overseas. If God is saying like, look, let's shift your actual culture these are three things I think can really help you from what we see in this scripture. So number one is a communion shift. A communion shift. You know, I didn't have this in my notes, but I want to share with you guys. You know, we typically had done communion in our church uh, on the first Sunday of every month. 
and uh, one of the families here, they're blessing, they actually make this bread and it, it goes back to the, the Coptic Orthodox Christian Church and it's beautiful time. But I really felt God saying, uh, since Mary and I were gone for a couple of weeks, that, man, we need to have communion every Sunday. So maybe some of you have started to notice we're having communion every Sunday. So I think it's interesting that what God was telling me in this message, that we need to have a communion shift. We're actually seeing it in the church. So if you look at the road to Emmaus and these two men that were with Jesus, when did they actually uh, have the Lord revealed to them? And something changed in this, not just walking with some guy down a road, to all of a sudden God is in our midst. It happened during communion. They recognized who Jesus was when he took the bread and he broke the bread and he gave it to them. They said, oh God, it's, it's you. And then he was gone. That communion time changed their routine, right? So when normally they would, they would be in Jerusalem, they'd be with, the, with the, uh, the believers, and then they'd leave and take their seven-mile journey back, and they'd stay the night after that long walk. Now all of a sudden they're having real communion with Jesus. He's revealing themselves, himself to them, and what happens? They don't just stay the night at home. They jump up immediately, change their routine. They run back to the church. What would happen if we said we're going to start having Sunday night services? Oh, I don't got time for all that. One service is enough. You already made me come on Wednesday nights for Bible study. These people had communion with the Lord and they couldn't wait to get back to fellowship. Couldn't wait to get back to the church and talk about what God had revealed to them. When Jesus shows up in the room and he reveals himself to everybody else, right? They get back from the road to Emmaus. They get in there. The, the disciples and other people are together, right? And they begin to talk about, well, he showed us at the tomb. Well, he showed me on the road and then we had communion. Then it says, because they were all together talking about him, Jesus shows up again into the very room and says, peace to you guys. But they're unsure, right? They're unsure about what they're seeing. And what does Jesus do? He begins to show them his body. He says, look, it's me. Look at the holes in my hands. Look at the holes in my feet. Look at the hole in my side. They still don't quite understand it. They don't really recognize what's happening to them. So what does he offer them so that they can realize? Communion. Verse 40 said, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe for joy and they marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? Let's eat together. Let's break bread together. Let's actually enjoy one another, and then what you don't understand, you will come to understand. Communion is not about transubstantiation. The Catholic Church believes that when you have communion every time that you go into the church, that because of a particular prayer, prayer that they pray over the bread and over the wine, that it turns into the actual body of Jesus and the actual blood of Jesus, and that's what you have to continue to receive every single week in order to stay saved. That's transubstantiation. That's not what communion is about. It's not special bread and special prayers that are said over something. Communion is about the reality of Jesus being shown to us and us realizing that we cannot live without him Amen. on a daily basis. He is the bread of life. It's about him revealing. It's not just, hey, I came to church and is that the communion over there? Or what do I have to do? What is the order of operation so that I can go and receive my communion? Do I have to kiss the hand of the priest? Do I have to wear something over my head? It has nothing to do with that. If you read the scriptures, when Jesus is having communion, what happened with, on the road to Emmaus when he met with those men and he broke the bread and gave them the wine? They said, I see Jesus. He didn't vanish and they're like, oh man, now he's in the bread. When he shows up here and they don't understand exactly who he is and exactly what they're seeing, he says, break bread with me, dine with me, get to know me, let me reveal who I actually am to you. That's what communion is about, is this revelation of more clarity on who the Lord is. John chapter 6, verse 31, they're having this conversation with the Lord, and they're telling Jesus, well, why should we believe in you? Show me a sign, show me a miracle, and then I'll believe in you. This is the church, the church leader, so be careful what church you go to. Says this, they say to Jesus, our fathers ate manna in the desert as it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. 
See, the world wants to tame you and give you this sedative, right, that says, listen, you can have your Jesus, but keep him in that little building that you go to. You can have your Jesus, but only once a year you can go down to Anaheim Stadium, like Raymond said. As a matter of fact, Greg, if you want to put up posters that have a Bible on it, nah, you've gone too far, right? Tame us. Give us a sedative. No, that's not how it works. Jesus says, listen, that ain't the bread. And that ain't the life that I've promised my people. I am the bread of life. You need to have a revelation that everything you have is because of me. Amen. The breath that you breathe is because of, because of me. The family that you love is because of me. The hope that you have is because of me. That's what I want to break with you on a daily basis. He says you need to have a culture shift. You have not seen a ghost. <laughs> right? That's what they think. They're in the room, Jesus shows up, they're kind of scared, they think it's a ghost. He says, no, you're going to know that I'm not just a ghost, I am alive, I am physical, I am real, I am tangible and touchable. And how are you going to know that? We're going to break bread. I'm going to show you, listen, a ghost doesn't get hungry and he doesn't want to eat, but flesh and blood, the man of God does. And he's given them revelation and revelation. How much revelation are we getting? How often have we come to the communion table and we've had bread and juice, but we haven't had Christ? In Revelation 3.20, the Lord says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. We need a, a culture shift and a, a shift of communion where you come to the table of the Lord on a daily basis and you dine with him. I'm a pastor, but I really don't care how often you show up to church if you're not communing with Christ. Right. It's great to see the church full and people uh, encountering God and, and giving and getting involved in ministry. You know, the, the alarm went off on the church uh, this Saturday, and it was because people were here cleaning the church. And it's like, man, it's great to see all this stuff. But if you talk to the people who are part of the cleaning ministry, the one thing that I tell them is like, don't just come here and clean. If you're coming to clean, you know, we'll, we can take care of that another way. When you get here with, with the four or five of you that are here, pray together. Talk to each other. You can encounter Christ not just during the service and not just during worship. He says, listen, I'm broken bread. At any time you gather, I'm here. But it's got to be a shift in our focus. And they're looking back at me like, look, man, it's already enough that I'm cleaning the church. <laughs> Don't try to make it spiritual so you can feel better about having me here. You don't have to raise your hands, but how many of us really want to have a culture of communion? Where we spend time daily with the Lord and we're reminded that he is no weekend mirage. Jesus is not a weekend mirage. He's not a Sunday morning, you know, shot or dose of the Holy Ghost. Amen. He's not that. Right. He's an everyday, daily bread. He says, I'm the bread of life. Amen. So number one is a, is a shift in communion. If you do that, I believe that you will see the, the culture shift that God wants to have in your life continue to progress. Number two is a shift from joy to truth and back to joy. Say joy. joy. Say joy. joy. Say truth. True. Amen. So not only a shift in communion, but a shift from joy to truth and then back to joy. Verse 40 of our scripture today says, when the Lord's talking to him, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? The disciples were so excited to see Jesus, even though they thought that he was a ghost. Even though they thought that he was a spirit, they were confused, they were afraid, but they were excited and joyful because they knew it was God, right? They're looking at each other and saying, is, is this a mirage? Is this a, is this a ghost? Is this just a spirit? But either way, we know it's him and we know it's God and we're, we're scared, but we're excited. Many Christians, many visitors to churches feel the presence of God and it's exciting, but they stop there. They'll go into a church, or many of us come into our own churches, and we feel the presence of God. It's like, man, I, I don't know what it was, but that one particular song, or that one particular brother or sister that hugged me, or that prayed for me, or, or that message that came forth, we feel the presence of God, and it's exciting, and it feels good because it's different than everything else that we typically feel. Everything else that, we, that we're used to knowing. But so many of us stop there. 
Listen to what verse 40 actually says. It says, they still did not believe for joy and they marveled. See, you can know that you're in the presence of God. You can know that he is in the room saying certain things and that he's real and still not know God. There's a difference between knowing that God exists and knowing God. James 2.19 says this, You believe that there's one God? You do well. But even the demons believe and tremble. Knowing that God exists is not enough. Everybody knows God exists. We like to act like we don't think he exists. And many of us remember what it was like when we were running in the streets, when we were getting high, when we were doing all kinds of stuff that we shouldn't have been doing. But we still knew that God existed. We just pretended like he didn't. The Bible says everybody knows and everybody's without excuse. But just because you know God exists and just because you know that there's a particular building, a particular pastor, a particular worship ministry that can put you into his presence does not mean that you actually know him. So it says that they marveled. Jesus didn't want them to marvel. You know what it means to marvel? We ain't talking about superheroes. You know what it means to marvel? Jesus is there and they think he's a spirit. And what it means to marvel is they start using their own faculties to try to say, well, this is what I think this means. I think he's a spirit. I think he wants to talk to us. I think he's saying that this is the room that we should always gather in. They begin to marvel and think in their own minds, how to make sense of what they're experiencing. Jesus doesn't want them to marvel or to use their own faculties to make their own decisions. He wants them to know the truth and for that truth to give them a joy that runs deeper than church experience. They had an experience. They're all gathered together and there's the Spirit of God in their minds there. And he's saying, listen, I don't want you to marvel and just make up your mind about what you're seeing. I want you to know the truth. I am alive, I am real, I'm not a spirit, I'm physically here with you, and I want that truth to give you a joy that's greater than just this experience that you're having. God doesn't want us just to have experiences and church experiences that make us happy from time to time. Many of us who have been serving the Lord for a little while, we realize that, you know, the experiences come and go. Yeah. Right? You remember when it was like every single worship service you were crying? Now you ain't cried in like a year and a half. <laughs> every single message you're running up on the pastor. Oh, that was, God was speaking right to me. And now you leave and you tell your spouse, man, I don't know if this dude even knows God anymore because I don't feel anything in church. <laughs> you're running up on the, on the children's church director and you're saying, my kids are praying. We don't even ask them to pray and they pray before we eat meals. And now it's like, those teachers don't even know what they're talking about. They're ignoring my son. <laughs> Why? Because that novelty and that experience, it, it runs away sometimes. It runs out sometimes. And God's saying, look, I didn't save you for experiences. Amen. That's not the joy that's going to last. There's another kind of joy that comes from truth, and that truth will last. That will outlast the days when you don't feel me in worship. That will outlast the times when you didn't hear me in the message. That will outlast the times when you got offended about something somebody said to your kids. But if you're only going for the experience, you're going to miss it. We need a culture shift, church. What kind of culture do we have? In Luke 4, 4, listen to what Jesus says. Jesus answered him saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Amen. See, I just told you that we need a shift in communion, which is awesome because you're in the presence. He's breaking bread. He's giving you this. You recognize how real he is, and that is great because that's the church experience when you come in and you, and you commune and you dine with God. But he's saying you don't just need that experience. You need the word of God, not just the joy of being in the presence of God, but the joy that comes from the truth of God, from his word and from his word only. A lot of people go to church, a lot of people move around churches looking for that communion experience. They want that old thing back <laughs> where you walk into the church and you just feel it just by being in the presence and they will go seeking and searching for it. We will go seeking and searching for it. The Lord reminds us that it's through the laboring in 
And over the word that we find more than just that experience, we find a relationship with him. Listen to what it says, verse 44 of our scripture today. He said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all these things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. So Jesus shows up, he's there physically, he has communion with them, and that should be enough. But what does he do? He says, listen, now that you see me, now that we're having communion, let's open up my word so I can show you a little bit more about what is happening now, what I said was going to happen before, and what's going to happen in the future. He's saying, let's get past this experience that we're having. We're all together here, which is great. He says, but let's get into the word. Let's have a true, uh, uh, a joy that comes from the truth of what I've said. Not just of what you're seeing and what you're feeling with particular senses. In the Old Testament, the manna began to fall from heaven when they were hungry. They got saved. They got delivered. They go through the Red Sea. They're on their way to the promised land. And God's like, I love you so much. I'm going to drop down bread from heaven. You don't have to work. It's just going to fall and you're just going to grab it. It's going to be like in and out burgers falling from the sky. God is so good. But what happened? Once they actually entered into the promised land, they went from that, that deliverance and they went from the miracles, right? And they began to walk out their faith. And as soon as they entered the promised land, what happened? They came outside like, Lord, where's, where's those, those sweet bread rolls that were falling down? And God's like, oh, no, 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 no. Now you got to plant seed and water it and farm the land if you want to eat. That's how our God is. At first, every service you walk into, the presence of God just hits you like, bam. Oh, Lord, you're here. You're in that song. I got saved like 14 years ago. And whenever I, whenever I hear songs from back then, it's like you feel the emotion. Most of us remember the songs that were being worshipped when you got saved. Like, bring tears to your eyes. And, and the younger kids are like, that is the wackest song. I don't know how anybody ever heard God through that. And you're like, you don't even know. Your mercy found me. And wouldn't it be nice if all you had to do was just, where's that CD at? And just pop it in and you just, oh, you feel the presence. No, he's like, no, it don't work like that. That CD is not where you find my love and my joy. This is where you find it now. That external experience, I used it and it has a purpose. But if you want lasting joy, if you want a culture shift, seed, water, plant, grow, tend, prune. There's no other way. You want a culture shift? We got to get into the word. See, a joy that's built on the knowledge of the truth mixed with a living communion experience, that will create a culture shift. If you have one or the other, if you have all word and no experience with God, you're going to be dry and nobody's going to want to hear a word from you. If you have all experience from God, but no, nothing to uh, root it and have foundations, no word of God, you're not going to be able to, to, uh, to give anybody anything that's nourishing. But when you have both, an experience with God, when you come into worship and you hear the songs and we say, uh, you're a miracle worker, you're the way maker, promise keeper, and a, and a uh, way maker, tell me girl, you're the one that sings it. <laughs> way maker, <laughs> promise keeper, miracle worker, is that in the right order? The and the light in the darkness, right? So when you sing that, if you're just thinking about like some random thoughts about what you think he made a way, he's like, that's not my way. If you, if you sing that song and you're thinking about some miracle, like he brought this guy into your life, like that ain't even the guy, right? If you're thinking about some promise he made, he's like, that's not my promise. But if you sing those songs and when you say way maker and you're thinking, man, the same way that you parted the Red Sea, the same way that you crossed the Jordan, you allowed Jer Joshua and them to cross the Jordan, the same way that you made a way for David when he was being hunted by Saul, like that's a whole nother level of like, I'm mixing the truth with the experience and I'm worshiping that God, not just some God that I've created, but that one. Right. You'll have a culture shift. Last one, don't get me fired up in here. Last one. So a shift in our communion, then a spiritual shift. 
or a spirit shift is the way that I have it here. Shift from joy to truth and then back to joy again. And then the last one is a spirit shift. I believe that we have to become a people who allow the Holy Spirit to move in our lives and begin to redirect us. Again, this culture that we live in and the world that we live in is very like, uh, I guess anti-spirit, which I guess it couldn't be any other way. The Spirit of God, it says that the world can't really understand it. But even before getting saved, I remember being the same way. Like I would look at church folks and be like, what's wrong with you guys? Or like somebody would have church on TV on and I'd be like, I just can't stand it. Even still, I can't watch church on TV. But you know what I'm trying to say where it's like, we get so jaded and we get so offended by the abuses of what people say the spirit of God is, is that many Christians have decided to just exclude the spirit of God from our walk with God. Well, like, we'll take the Father because we recognize that, and, like, we're, we're good with the fatherly relationship who loves us and cares for us and provides for us. We'll take Jesus because he's like a brother that's gone before us, and he died for us, and he laid his life down for us. But because of what we've seen and heard about the Spirit, we're just going to exclude that from our walk with God. And he says, no, I am one. I am Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says, if you don't have the Spirit, you don't have the Son. Just like you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. He says, the Spirit is what gives, uh, shines the light on who Jesus is. But I truly believe that we need to allow the Spirit to really direct our lives. Instead of saying, hey, here's where I'm going, and Spirit, would you mind confirming with the Lord that it's okay for me to keep going where I want to go? Verse 49 this morning, Jesus finishes talking to the church, and this is what he says. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry or wait in the city of, of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany. He lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Jesus says this. You've seen me. We've had an experience. We've broken bread together. I've begun to reveal my word to you. And just when you think that this is going to just last forever and everything's going to be excited, he says, I'm out of here. <laughs> Wait here until you receive the Holy Spirit. Don't do anything until you receive the Holy Spirit. My father made a promise and he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And once he does, then you can go out and do whatever it is that I'm going to direct you to do. But if you try to do it without the Holy Spirit, there ain't going to be any lasting. There's not going to be any shift in your culture and in your lives. Zechariah 4, 6, it says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. My natural tendency is like I'm pretty motivated. I get pretty excited about things. and I just want to get things accomplished. I hate having things that are left undone. Like I was telling one of the brothers here, uh, even the small OCD type issues that I have, like my desktop on my computer, if there's all kinds of stuff all over, like it drives me crazy because I feel like there's something unfinished. I spent two hours fixing my desktop the other day. So when Mary was gone and all these changes are happening, I said to myself, when she gets back, we're going to change. Our family's going to be different. I'm going to do the cooking around here. I'm going to take these kids out and play with them every day, or, or not every day, but, but one day that Mary was gone, I took one of the kids somewhere just to get one-on-one -on -one time with them. I'm like taking Naomi somewhere. Took her to Home Depot. <laughs> because it was on the list of things on the to-do list. I had to fix the sprinkler, so Naomi, we're going to Home Depot. And then another day I hung out with Nate, another day I hung out with Niall, you know? And then I'm like, when Mary comes home, I'm not gonna stop this. Once a week, I'm gonna be one-on-one -on -one with one of the kids and I'm gonna cook and I'm gonna do all this stuff. Why? Because I can do it Amen. by my own might and by my own power and by my own decision-making to say that this is gonna happen. And then I felt the Lord saying, pump your brakes, Vaughn. <laughs> do you think maybe you should pray and say, well, Lord, what would you like me to do? What, what is the actual specific? You know, with Joshua and Jericho, it wasn't just he said, hey, I want you to walk around the city, and then Joshua took off walking. No, once for six days in a row, and then seven times on the last day. And by the way, don't say a word until the last day. And even when you are going to shout, make sure you wait till after the trumpets. There's like this instruction that the Lord wants to give. And I felt the Lord saying the same thing. I could go out and run and make all these changes in my, in my life and in my family's life, and then I can impose my will upon them. If you really want God to move in our lives, then you have to listen to me, and this is what we're going to do as a family from now on. And God said, no, just pray, and I'll tell you what I want you to keep. I'll tell you what I want you to lay off. And guess what? Because, I ha because my spirit is alive in you and in your family, I'll speak to your wife. Amen. And then I'll speak to your kids. And then I'll actually empower you 
to have a culture shift in your family. He says, wait on the Lord. Imagine how tempting it would have been for these disciples and the others that were in that room to say, we've seen the risen Lord. I put my, my finger into the hole in his hand and into the hole in his side, and I'm ready to run now. When I was a little bit unsure and I was a little bit uncertain, now I've had this experience with him and he revealed the scriptures to me, I'm ready to run. And then Jesus says, you know what, just hang out, wait for a little while, wait for my spirit. Then you can run the way that you're supposed to run. And you won't grow weary and you won't faint and you won't be wasting your time and spinning your wheels. After pastoring this church for 10 years, you know, that's one thing that I really did learn is that I didn't wait long enough for a lot of things. Because <laughs> I heard enough from God. If you've, if you've heard something, many of us feel like we've heard enough and we just start doing things. And now people get mad at me because they'll tell me they want to do something. I'm like, okay, we're just going to wait. <laughs> we're going to pray. What do you mean we're going to pray? You used to be the one that say, go for it, go. We're going to wait. We're going to pray. So I'm going to close with the scripture that tells you what happens when you do this. When we wait on the Lord, when we receive his spirit, an amazing, true uh, culture shift. This is Acts chapter 2. The Lord's gone now, and they're trying to figure out as they wait. It says this. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were dwelling, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and they were confused because everyone heard them speaking in his own language. I'm going to stop there for a second. So they listen to the Lord. They just get together and they start waiting for the Spirit to come. And when the Spirit comes, it fills everybody. Not just the pastor, not just the worshipers, not just the children's church teachers. Everybody who was there gets filled with the Spirit of God. And what happens? They begin to speak differently. A culture shift. They, they begin to think differently, a culture shift. And everybody that's around them that comes within their presence, within earshot, it's not like they heard a bunch of people speaking gibberish. Remember we talked about being afraid of the Holy Spirit? That's why we have praying in the Spirit on Friday night. So not to freak everybody out on Sunday morning. <laughs> but what happened when that happened? People weren't confused. People received revelation. Everybody that came around heard them speak in their own language. They were speaking to the hearts of people because they were filled with the Spirit of God. The very thing that many of us are the most afraid of is exactly what we need to see the lives of the people that we love changed. To be filled with the Spirit. To wait on the Lord. And then here's how it ends. They preach this message. All these people are, are hearing in their own language, speaking directly to their hearts. And this is how it ends in verse 40. It says, with many other words, speaking of Peter, he testified and exhorted them. This thousands of people listening saying to them, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and they had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and their goods. They divided them among all as anyone had need, and continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. This is a culture shift, church. They come together. They wait for the Holy Spirit. God begins to move in their lives. And then everything changes. Not just little pieces of their life change. Everything changed. The way that they looked at their time, they were constantly together, it said. The way that they looked at communion, they were breaking bread, not just at the temple, but from house to house to house. When's the last time you broke bread in somebody's house and had communion and prayed together? You went over to a family friend's house, you're just going to break bread. Hey, what do you think, guys? Can we pray a little bit? Can we remember what the Lord has done for us? The things that sound crazy to us sound biblical when you read the scriptures. 
They looked at their possessions differently. Nobody had to beg them and say, can you tithe? Can you offer? Look at this next thing that's coming up. Let's give into it. It says that they just sold everything and that nobody had need. We're going to give into the kingdom. We're going to take care of each other. The reason why our culture is a little bit different, and I don't think that God wants us to do exactly the same thing that he called them to do here, but one of the reasons that the culture is different is that it's, you're okay to be a Christian here. When these people decided to follow Jesus, they lost their inheritance, they lost their family, they lost their rights, they lost their property, they lost most of their friends. So if it wasn't for the other believers who shifted and changed their culture to take care of each other, they would have all died. But we get to be free. I mentioned on Wednesday, read uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs and see what's been happening over the centuries to believers. Nairi said, look how lucky we are. This girl is 13 years old. She said, I came back realizing how lucky I am to be raised in the church, to have parents that take me to church and to know who God is and to be free to walk around and serve the Lord. I really believe that God wants us to have a culture shift. And when that happens, we'll find a joy that's deeper than experience. We'll find communion that's bigger than bread. Right? And we'll find an indwelling and a filling with the spirit that reminds us of what Christianity is supposed to be. Not what we've been told it is, not what we see uh, on TV or on Facebook, on Facebook Live of what church is supposed to be. It's Jesus coming into the presence of his people, filling us with his spirit and empowering us to shift and to change culture. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Amen. Praise the Lord. Worship team, prayer team, go ahead and come on up as well. I just want to close service this morning. Um, we're going to give you an opportunity to, to come and to receive prayer, but also to come and receive communion in just a minute here. <clears throat> but the most important thing, uh, as you see the story of Jesus coming back into that house, meeting these two men on the road to Emmaus, then coming back into this, this room full of followers, And he gives a little bit further clarification and revelation on who he really is. He says, listen, it was written that I had to die, but that I would rise. They had heard these things, but they didn't really believe it until that point. He says, you have to actually reach out and touch me. Fill the holes in my hand. It's still me, but I've conquered death. Because I've conquered death, I promise you that I will allow you to conquer death. Because I've been resurrected, if you put your faith in me, you too will be resurrected. He kept saying the same message that he had been speaking to them for three years. But this particular day, they were able to hear it and receive it in a different way. And it changed everything for them. It changed everything for them. It gave them true eternity and true salvation. So that's what I want to do here this morning. If you would just bow your head, just close your eyes. Focus on the Lord. If you're here and maybe this is a message that you've already heard and maybe you've been hearing it for years, that Jesus loves you, that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believed would not perish, but they'd be saved and have eternal life. Maybe that's not a new message to you, but maybe today you see it in just a little bit of a different light. That he is real, that he is alive that he conquered the grave, that you can be saved, not because you deserve salvation, not because you're fixing your life and trying to make some some changes, not because you want to be a better person. You can be saved because he has conquered the grave. He will forgive you. You don't have to make up for it. You don't have to fix anything. All you have to do is say, God, you say that you can forgive me. I want to be forgiven. That's how you get saved, no matter what anybody has told you. No matter what people have tried to convince you of, it was like for them when they got saved. They got saved by grace. God said, I love you and I'll forgive you. Do you want to be forgiven? And they said, yes. That's how everybody gets saved. If you're here and you've never asked God to forgive you or accepted that forgiveness, I would love for you to do that today. If that's you, the heads are bowed, the eyes are closed. It's just between you and the Lord. I just want to see you so that I can make sure you get prayed for. Would you raise your hand and just say, man, I want to really know this Jesus. I really want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. I don't want to be a church attendee. I don't want to be somebody that just knows about God. I want to know him for myself. Would you raise your hand so that I can see you? Hallelujah. Amen. I see you. I see you. God loves you. Anybody else this morning, you want to be saved? You've heard the message, but you want to receive Jesus this morning? Is there anybody else? Just raise your hand so I can see you. 
Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your daughter here in this place this morning, God. She's heard the message, Lord, and she just responds today desiring to be healed, desiring to be forgiven, Lord. I pray that the same way you promised your spirit to those disciples, the same way that you've promised your spirit to each and every one of us, would you send your spirit to your daughter, confirming the decision that she's made, that you hear her, that you love her, that you've been longing to forgive her, that her life will never be the same, Lord, and will there be a, a shift in the culture of her life, Lord? Have your way in her. Hallelujah, Lord. Young lady, one of our elders will talk to you and pray with you and just continue that process that you're going through. We're excited for you. We're happy for you. And we're here for you. It's not going to be easy. It's the most difficult decision of your life. And it's probably going to get harder before it gets easier. But God will be with you. He's faithful. For the rest of us, we're going to open the altars here. And we're going to open communion. If anything spoke to you, you can come. But remember... A shift in communion. As you take communion today, remember who he is. Remember what he's done. Remember that he wants to reveal himself to you this morning, not just have you eat a little bit of bread and drink a little bit of juice. He's here. He wants to show himself to you. So spend a minute in prayer. Get away from maybe whoever you came with just by one seat even and say, God, sit with me, talk with me, dine with me. A shift in your love for the word of God. Maybe you would pray this morning, God, make your word come alive. Give me clarity. Give me understanding. That's what he's done in the past. That's what Jesus did when he rose. And that's what he's still doing today. It's not a dead book. It's not something you need somebody to explain to you all the time. He will give you understanding. He will give you revelation. You will have a love affair with his word. And that will make your experience in the church so much more joyful. Maybe some of you would like to pray for that this morning. And then finally... Just a feeling with the Spirit of God. Not to be afraid because of abuses or injustice, but to ask God to fill you with His Spirit, that you would feel His presence, that you would be empowered, that you could have a shift in your culture of your own life and in your family. It's not by your might. It's not by your power. It's not by your ability to say, I'm going to do things differently. It's by the power of the Spirit of God. He is gentle. He is true. He is loving. He is kind. And he is the promise that the Father has made to each and every one of us. It's not an option. It's a requirement. So the altars are open. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your presence this morning. I ask that uh, as we pray, Lord, and as we have communion, that we would remember what it truly is about, Lord. Reveal yourself to us during this time and during this prayer time, God. I ask that those who are praying, part of the prayer team here, that you would speak to them and through them to your sons and your daughters here in this place this morning. As we go back into our week, Lord, don't let it be a sedative. Don't let it be the taming of our faith, Lord God. Let us continue to go and continue to grow. Broaden, Lord. Extend the parameters, God. Don't confine us. Set us all the way free, Lord God. Let our expression and our love for you, Lord, be released, Lord, not confined. We love you in this place. We need you more now than ever before, God. We thank you for what you've done in this month and in this conference and in these trips, Lord God. But we believe that what you're going to do tomorrow is just as magnificent and amazing, Lord, in your one-on-one -on -one time with us. Have your way. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name. church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.